Welcome to the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business. Thanks so much for tuning in to the podcast. We've got a first-time guest, but a great guest. Beth LeBlanc is the fine reporter and writer for the Detroit News. We've got a couple of great stories to talk with her about. Beth, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate you being here. In a quick nutshell, give us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you went to college, and how you ended up at the news. Yes, I grew up a little bit outside of Flint in Linden, so Genesee County. I got my degree from U of M Flint, and then I worked for a couple of like local papers around Michigan before I started with the news five years ago. And I work in politics and state government for the news. It's been interesting to follow the Detroit news recently. I hadn't read it much. I'm from Mount Clemens, grew up reading that paper as well as the free press. But we had an opportunity to interview Gary Miles. And you guys are doing lots of new and cool things and really trying to, you know, sink your journalistic teeth into everything you do now and trying to be fair and balanced. Yeah, they keep us pretty busy. I'm going to be honest. All right, let's talk a little bit about the story titled Nestle, 1 million residents to see criminal convictions automatically expunged. When you see the headline, it grabs your attention. Tell us a little bit about this story. Yeah, so to understand the current situation and what happened this week, you kind of have to go back three years ago to 2020 when the legislature passed this package of bills that were really kind of groundbreaking in terms of how Michigan looks at past convictions. And they were called the Clean Slate Package. And it largely broadened the number of convictions that were eligible for expungement. And then it like streamlined the process for expungement. So it's easier to get felonies and misdemeanors, you know, non-serious for the most part, non-serious felonies and misdemeanors expunged and off your record. And the goal of it from day one has been to kind of open up doorways to job opportunities, to housing opportunities, to education, areas where in the past people have been kind of screened out because they've had to answer yes or no when asked whether they had a previous criminal conviction or something on their record. So that passed in 2020. A key element of that was what's called automatic expungement. And that took two to three years to set up a system They needed a software system that could kind of screen out some convictions, misdemeanors, and felonies that could automatically be expunged under this law. And so that is what took effect Tuesday at midnight. So basically Tuesday at midnight, this algorithm started running where it went through all of the state's criminal history database and looked at who are the individuals who have convictions that qualify for basically getting cleared off and erased from their record. So that ran Tuesday night. In the first day, they screened out about a million misdemeanor convictions and 105,000 felony convictions from the criminal history record. Now, that's only a portion of what was done Tuesday. The other part of it, some really low-level misdemeanor crimes are being done at the court level. So we don't have a number on those yet, but that's going to be a significant portion as well. And again, folks need to understand this is for nonviolent, non-serious crimes, correct? Yeah. What's funny about this is there's not a definitive list about which crimes exactly were expunged. But what they used with the algorithm is they screened out which crimes could not be expunged. And those crimes include anything with assaultive behavior could not be 
automatically expunged. Now, certain convictions can be expunged through like the typical application process, but for automatic expungement, it couldn't be assaulted. Crimes of dishonesty couldn't be automatically expunged. Human trafficking, drunken driving, certain abuse offenses, basically crimes punishable by more than 10 years, they were not eligible for automatic expungement. Again, there's separate pathways to expungement for some of those, but you have to go through a more detailed process. And the other kind of fail-safe that they put in here is if you've been charged with a crime since then, or if you have like pending charges, or if you didn't have a clean record after you know being convicted of those, you were ineligible for automatic expungement as well. And there was a seven-year waiting period after you finished your sentence for misdemeanors and a 10-year waiting period for felonies. What I was curious about, wonder, say someone's record gets expunged and they commit another crime. Will the court system know that, hey, we had these guys here before? How would that work? You know, like when we're talking about expungements where it gets erased from your record, these are a little bit different than your typical expungements. And what the courts are defining these are as are like what they're calling set-asides. So it's essentially any public viewing of that record is impossible, right? Like if somebody were to do a background check on someone who had a previous conviction that was set aside through this, they wouldn't be able to find it in a public database. But the people who retain access to that are police and prosecutors. So they basically have a non-public record that's retained. So Let's say that somebody reoffends, like gets caught shoplifting, and they have a prior offense for shoplifting. Police and prosecutors could look at that and say, okay, this should be charged as a second offense because they did do this before, but it's been expunged. And so they can definitely use that. There's other instances where it could be referenced. Some of the ones laid out in the law are like, if you're up for a pardon or asking for a pardon from the governor, they can look to see what you've had expunged in the past in determining eligibility. Licensing boards can look at some of these. There are a few exceptions to who can see those prior records. Was this bipartisan legislation? Yeah, it definitely was. So this was passed. Obviously, now we have a Democratic majority in the House and Senate. But when this was passed, it was a Republican majority, and it had support from both Republicans and Democrats. It was signed by Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So there was definitely bipartisan support for this. And like I said before, I mean, I think a lot of people realized that there was a huge portion of the state's population that was being held back from certain jobs and housing because of this. Right. This is an interesting new law and other states have taken the same route. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. I'm Tony Connolly. We're talking with Beth LeBlanc from the Detroit News. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Looking for high-quality office furniture on a budget? Stop by the office outlet at 516 North Larch in downtown Lansing for huge savings. We've got new and used office furniture from brand-name manufacturers, all at discounted prices. Browse through 5,000 square feet and save on seating, desks, files, storage, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. The office furniture outlet is your destination for office furniture on a budget. Visit us online at officeoutletyes.com.
Welcome back to Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. This is the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with Beth LeBlanc, who wrote a very interesting story on a new law that's going to change a lot of lives. One million new Michigan residents will see criminal convictions automatically expunged. These are nonviolent non-serious types of crimes. And Beth, as I saw in your story, other states are doing the same thing. Yeah. So I think there are now about 10 states that have an automatic expungement policy, this kind of wide-reaching overnight forgiveness of certain convictions. Although there's 10, Michigan is the third to actually put it into action, right? Like 10 states have passed it, but they haven't actually implemented it yet. I think they were behind Pennsylvania and Utah in terms of implementation, and they're definitely a first. Beth, the people who oppose this, what were the reasons for the opposition? Well, you know, we've talked to a couple of police agencies who said they had reservations about the automatic aspect of this and some of the certain crimes that were expunged as part of the bigger package. But some of their concerns about the automatic expungement was that they felt that these things should be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. And when it's just run via an algorithm or some kind of software, that you kind of remove that human decision-making that can see the context and the full story of why this person was convicted of what they were and what the circumstances were and who the victims were. And so that was some of the pushback on this. And some of that was addressed in the package that passed. I mean, Lawmakers definitely curtailed what kind of crimes could be expunged, what sort of safeguards were in place to ensure that police would have access to these records in the future should that person commit another offense. Beth, I also thought what was interesting about the story is just talking about the human experience as well as how this could economically affect the state of Michigan. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, we hear time and again that there's a huge labor shortage out there. I think from what we've heard from different groups who are advocating for this, it's not just that people are screened out of jobs because of these convictions. It's because they've been screened out so much in the past that they're discouraged and they're not trying to apply for these jobs anymore. So they're hoping this can kind of kick the engine in Michigan and get these people to start applying and get them qualified for this work. What's been the feedback since the law has gone into effect? What have you heard? Yeah, I mean, it's largely been positive. I know there are a few things that they still have to iron out, right? When you do something this large, there's always going to be wrinkles, kind of unforeseen consequences of what happens. One of the ones we've heard is, you know, there are a lot of like software or databases that collect this information and then use it to sell background checks or to sell information on people. One being like Nexus, right? That they collect information on people about their criminal background and then they give access to individuals for like, let's say loans or mortgages or whatever when they're doing those background checks. So the question is, is even though this requires the state to keep these records non-public, what happens if Nexus has all these old records? Mm. Are they required to get rid of those records now? What kind of legal responsibilities are on them because these are now non-public? And I think that's something that they haven't addressed yet. You know, Beth, what will be interesting is to hear from those who this directly affects. Were folks able to get a job, get into a house, get into an apartment? You know, are they feeling better about themselves? I mean, I think some of those answers are, you know, easy to kind of figure out. 
But to get feedback from those folks would be pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, I think definitely. You know, they had a reception the day this went into effect. And one woman spoke from Detroit about how 18 years ago, she had some sort of, she didn't go into detail, but it sounded like a bounce check or something, right? That she had insufficient funds. It's flagged as a fraudulent thing. She's an accountant now. And she is having trouble getting a job anywhere because it shows up that she had this on her record. And she said, you know, she was, I think, 18 at the time, had cleaned up her act afterward, but had this following her around everywhere despite 18 years of clean behavior. You know, one of the things that the package was put in place for too was this was put in place shortly after the state legalized marijuana. And so I think part of this package was to try to address the idea that so many people had been caught with marijuana in the past, you know, with a product that is now legal in the state of Michigan. So how do you address that? Was it even worth a felony in the past or misdemeanor in the past? So I think there are a lot of people, I think, who are going to have certain crimes like that expunged at the end of the day. We're talking with Detroit News reporter and writer Beth LeBlanc. When we come back, we're going to talk about her gun group story. Very interesting story. We'll do that next. I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Michigan Works Association believes the key to advancing prosperity across the state is accomplished through building a skilled workforce. As the state's primary workforce development association, their focus is to continue to move the needle on policy, education, and collaboration. They're creating an opportunity and building stronger communities by advocating and innovating together. Welcome back to Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Detroit News reporter, writer Beth LeBlanc. And she wrote a story titled Gun Groups Sue Michigan Legislature over the ability to testify on firearms bills. You, as much as anyone, Beth, knows how big a topic this is, guns and legal owners and so on. Talk a little bit about this story. Yeah. So over the past couple of months, you know, especially in the wake of the shooting at Michigan State University. Lawmakers have been moving very swiftly to get at least some groundwork gun regulation in place in Michigan. The three that they've kind of focused on are red flag laws, which would allow you to confiscate a firearm if you thought a judge to confiscate a firearm. If they were told or were provided proof that this person presented a risk to themselves or others. There's ones that would require more background checks and registration requirements for long guns. There's another one that would require the secure storage of any firearm in a home where a minor is present. So these are the three bills that they've moved in kind of lightning speed through the legislature. While they've been doing that, They've had maybe a total of six hearings on the bills, and every hearing has just been packed with people wanting to testify or wanting to comment. Among them, 
have been gun rights groups or people who are against these regulations and feel that they're in violation of the Second Amendment. And they feel that they didn't get enough time during these committee hearings to present an opposite viewpoint on these laws before these laws were passed. So on Thursday, they filed suit in the Michigan Court of Claims saying that this was a violation of the Open Meetings Act, that they should have been given equal time or at least more time to present their arguments against these laws. So was this fast-tracked? When you have the political power, you can get away with little things like that. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely fast-tracked. I don't think anyone would argue that it was fast-tracked, but there were six hearings. And I mean, I can tell you from what I've seen in Lansing from both sides of the aisle, I mean, sometimes bills move without any hearings at all. And in the past appeared to be up to the opinion of the leadership, how quickly those move, how many hearings they receive, if any. And it has appeared to be a call of the committee chair about who comments, how long they comment, everything like that. So whether that's in for a shakeup with this lawsuit, I'm not sure. But if they're successful, I think it would overturn some precedent that's been set for committee hearings in the past in Michigan. What's interesting about these laws, I've gone through them a little bit, Beth, and they almost seem to be common sense, maybe take a little bit more time, do a little bit more of a background check. I really didn't see anything that said this group or this person can't have it. It seems like sensible stuff. What do you think from your reporting? Well, I mean, that's definitely Democrats are saying that this is just common sense and that this is a floor and not the ceiling of what can be done in terms of gun regulation. I think the devil's in the details, right? Like a lot of the Gun regulation and the interplay between state and federal law on guns is very complicated. Mm. And so some of the pushback on this has been that this isn't going to make sense in the interplay between state and federal, or this is going to put too big of a burden on gun owners and infringe on their Second Amendment right. And then there were a lot of questions too. In particular, I would say the most controversial one of all of them is the red flag law. There are a lot of questions about due process and what a judge is able to take away from you without maybe you even being in the hearing or without giving you enough time to defend yourself in the hearing. There's worries that it would be misused as kind of like a retribution if somebody's upset with you. So those are concerns. But yeah, definitely. I mean, they pass very quickly and they pass on the argument that this is just the floor. This is basic common sense gun legislation. Where these bills seem to miss the mark, and I don't have the answer for this, but getting the guns out of the bad guy's hands, because they're not going to give them up. And I think that's what gun advocates and even maybe people who don't own guns keep saying, you keep worrying about those who legally can have guns. You put these checks and balances into place, but what are we going to do to get the guns out of the bad guy's hands, to get them off the black market? I don't know what the answer is, but it doesn't seem like that's being addressed enough. Yeah, I think there's like two levels of this argument, right? Like, I know we've heard from some Detroit officials that like the gun violence in Detroit is largely perpetrated with illegal guns, Mm -hmm. that these are people who aren't going to be following any laws or are going to go around the laws that are in place to get a firearm. I think with the two recent mass shootings in Michigan, Those appeared to be firearms that were largely owned legally. Mm -hmm. And so these are in response, I would say, more so to the mass shootings than Mm -hmm. like a rash of gun violence. For example, 
in Oxford, you know, that firearm apparently was unsecured when the student took it into school or took it from his parents' home and into school. In the case of Michigan State University, the father said afterwards that the son was not mentally okay. I mean, I think Anthony McRae's note portrayed a lot of mental instability there or mental anguish that Democrats say could perhaps be addressed by something like a red flag law. If somebody's going through some mental health issues and it appears to be a risk to themselves or others, you could confiscate the firearms. You know, I think we've heard opposition to this that, yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, it's a law, but people can get around it or people can just break it. If they're willing to shoot up people, what is to stop them from breaking another law like a gun regulation? But again, Democrats have emphasized consistently that, you know, this is the ground and this is the floor and not the ceiling and that these are some basic common sense ways to respond to what's happened so far. We've been talking with Detroit News reporter, writer Beth LeBlanc. Are you on Twitter? I am. Okay. Well, Beth, these were fascinating stories. I can't wait to get you back on. These two types of stories aren't going away. And it's kind of cool to see Michigan kind of moving forward with legislation, even though we've got this back and forth with Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting moving forward to see what does move ahead and what doesn't in this debate. Beth LeBlanc with the Detroit News. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you. I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We'll see you next time.